0: Hi, my name is Caroline Durham and I'm the minister to children here at Heights Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us online today. You can find our content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can let us know that you joined us today um, and let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks for joining us. In the New Testament, in the book of Matthew chapter 16, the disciples come to Jesus and they say hey people are talking about you they're calling you a prophet they're calling you a a good teacher and Jesus responded with a question and basically said it doesn't matter what they say that I am who do you say that I am a question that we've answered in our culture over and over again. It's a question that many of you have wrestled with over the course of the the years. Who do you say that I am? Christ asks of us. You see, there have been, there's been no other public figure that has been scrutinized as much as Jesus. There has been no other Figure in history that has had as many things written about him defining his character his quality what he did what he didn't do than Jesus in our culture today he can be seen kind of as a generic brand a logo a a little Jesus that fits inside our pocket he's been fictionalized by the last temptation of Christ, humanized by the passion of the Christ, satirized by South Park and Monty Python. He's been romanticized numerous times. But the question that we have to answer is not what the creators of South Park say that Jesus is, who do you say that I am is the question that Christ asks each one of us those disciples that he asked that would have to come to terms over their walk with Jesus with the reality of who Jesus was they had a belief that was tested over and over again you had at the crucifixion them flee They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. You had Peter ask multiple times on dark days, aren't you one of his guys? Oh, no, 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 not me. Later, Christ would rise again. They would have this new longing relationship and the apostles, as they've come to be known, would all be asked that question on some darker days than they could even imagine. Dare I say that the first revival that took place was in the individuals that had followed Christ before the crucifixion and had a reigniting when he rose again. Dark days, hard times, difficult topics, difficult days. These disciples went to their graves. They were beaten and persecuted. Who do you say that the Christ man is? He is Lord. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 15. In America, the most common view is a little Jesus that fits in our pocket. Now, I know some of you might not love that I pulled out a little pocket Jesus. But to those of you that would think that way, I would say, don't worry. It's actually an Obi-Wan Kenobi action figure. (laughs) But the way that we handle our pocket Jesus is something like this, God, I need you today. I just bought a lottery ticket. This is my number. I need your help. God, I am about to face an opponent in my game and I'm worried about the outcome. God, please allow me to be victorious. God, I'm going through hard times. My truck has more lights than my Christmas tree on it. That's not a good thing. It blinks at you. Pocket Jesus, please provide the means for my lights to go off. We pull him out of our pocket in times that we need him and then day-to-day grind as we're going on our way as we're at work goes right back into our pocket but then we realize that life gets heavy back out he comes who do you say that I am now I know that Nobody in this room has a pocket Obi-Wan Kenobi. But what I will say is this. For true revival to take root, even in seasons that are dry, even on seasons where we say, God, where are you? Even on days that seem grim and heavy. We have a God that is big enough to sympathize with us. We have a God that is able to come and help us. One of the pictures I love in the Bible is in the book of Daniel. You have three young men that are faced with this opportunity to give in to the culture, to literally bow in idol worship. They said, no, we're not going to do that. And the king said, excuse me, if you don't submit to the culture demands, there will be consequences. No, king, no. What if I make a fire that's so hot that you'll be dead before you even get into the fire? Bring it, do it, God, you are big. God is bigger. Than this statue god is bigger than your culture god is bigger than your demands no thank you i will not bow In daniel you have this picture three men that said you know what my god is big enough to pull me out of the fire on my darkest day on my hardest day but even if he doesn't he's still god Many of you know how that story goes. They were rescued from the fire, but did you know, even if they weren't, they had a view of the size of God that was true and real, even on a hard day, even on a difficult time. I think of it sometimes as Columbus, Finding the wrong place. Landed in a a place that he thought was something completely different. Called the people he found there Indians. Thought that he had found a place that had already been discovered, charted, mapped out. Sometimes the way that we view our God, the way that we view Jesus, as if we can figure him out, Ephesians says that he is the unsearchable God. That means he's bigger than you can wrap your mind around. One of the things I love the most is when revival strikes up in a church, when it strikes up in an individual, it always comes with a realization that God is bigger than I thought he was yesterday. Do you want revival to take hold in your life? You have to begin at the point of saying, my God is bigger. He's bigger than the hard time. He's bigger than the difficult moment. Revival can spring up in individuals. It leads to moments that leads to a mission. We can see people joining the movement over the centuries, people that were on fire for a God that was big enough to cover hard days, bad times, and difficult seasons. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite pastors, says the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give the orders and interfering with God's work within us. You see, when we come to this moment of realization, this moment of revival that breaks out in each one of us, We come to a realization that this is a God that's bigger than me I'm a terrible captain of my own life I'm a terrible king and I'm an awful God but God is good at all of those we see a revival it's one of my favorites in the book of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 many of you have probably read this if you've been in church If your Bible looks anything like mine you have multiple markings and multiple times that you've gone through this but it says this in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim each had six wings and two uh, he covered his face with two That, hey, for a life that digs deeper, a life of revival, a a, a new occurrence that happens in his life, he has to have a bigger view of God than he did before. This was somebody that already knew Yahweh. He already knew who God was. He had already seen temple worship. He had already experienced all of the things that our church had to offer. He'd sat through worship services. He knew the prayers. He could have passed the theology test, I guarantee it. He would have been leading a life group. But this one moment of revival sparked something in him that was radically different. What caused it? I saw the Lord seated on the throne, the sovereign God of the universe ruling and reigning. So much bigger than my circumstance. So much bigger than me. So much bigger than what I have to offer. Revival starts always with a bigger view of God. Do you want a life that digs deeper? Do you want a deeper walk with God? This God is not going to do that for you. But this God is. the God who is seated on the throne reigning. As a child, one of my favorite authors was C.S. Lewis. I read the Chronicles of Narnia way before the movies made it cool. Don't watch the movies, they were so bad. But basically in the story of the Chronicles of Narnia there is a god figure whose name is Aslan he's portrayed by a lion and he encounters individuals and through various different stories uh, one of the main characters throughout the stories is this little girl whose name is Lucy and we get to grow up with Lucy if you will throughout the books she had an encounter with this lion when she was younger. But in this instance, there was something that was different. In the book, Prince Caspian, she says, Aslan, you're bigger. Well, that's because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger in a children's book, we see a deeper theology than some of my theology classes that I've taken. When we grow in our faith, when we have a faith that digs deeper, when revival explodes in our life, we have a deeper, a bigger view of God. And we say, God, you seem bigger than you were yesterday. And he's like, no, no, I haven't changed. I am the God unchangeable, the sovereign, the ruler, the reigner. I am over all things. You seem bigger. How'd you get me through that circumstance? Paul puts it another way in the book of Colossians. Uh, You've probably heard this as well. We get a picture of who Christ is. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. You've heard this before? One of my favorite verses in that section of verses is verse 18. And it says this. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Now, I could see lights going off all over the room. Preeminent is not a word we use very often, is it? It means he's our goal. Do you ever set goals for work, for school? He's what we're striving for. He's the top of the shelf, the top of the chain. He is the God who we seek. The God who we strive to be more and more like. He is preeminent. Reigning, sovereign, top, foremost. You see what happens in our culture so frequently is we have portrayals of God that are centered around me. And when my view of God says, God is good, he is able to give me, fill in the blank. Then all of a sudden we have made Something else preeminent, haven't we? Well, God gives me things. The things is the thing that is preeminent. God gives me wealth. The wealth is preeminent. God is only good as long as I am healthy. That is preeminent. What happens when the wealth fades, when the health goes away? Your God crumbles. the God of the Bible, the preeminent God, Jesus Christ is able to handle the circumstance. He's bigger. He is the end goal. Preeminent. Revival starts with a big view of God where he is preeminent, the top, the goal. Isaiah 6, 5, it goes on. He encountered this God and he says, Woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King Yahweh of hosts. He says, I have seen God that is big enough and powerful enough and it caused a recognition in his own life not to say, woe is the people. Woe are those. Woe are them. Woe is the church. He says, woe is me. I am broken. I am sinful and the weight of my sin is crushing me. Woe is me. I'm unclean. You see, when revival takes hold, not only do we have to have a bigger view of God, we have to have a weightier view of our sin. I can't sit here and look at your sin and have a weightier view of your sin. It's mine. Why do I need salvation? Why do I need atonement? Why do I need help? Why are there bad days? Why are there hard times? I need something bigger. My God is bigger. My God is bigger. He is the God that gives salvation. Isaiah 6:6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And check this, one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible. And your sin has what? Been atoned for. Covered. Cleaned. The sacrifice was found acceptable. This man with the big view of God and the big view of sin encountered this big God who has said, hey, I am capable of removing the weight. Does your God do that? Isaiah, like I said, was already a follower, he already knew what sin was, but this was something different. In chapter 5, you see that he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see a difference? Chapter 5, you have this prophet, this man of God, that says, Woe is them. They have sin." God doesn't like sin. Then he has an encounter with the real God. All of the sudden, something changed. All of the sudden, there was a new depth. Something happened that caused his faith to go deeper. He had an encounter with a God that was big enough to handle all of the things. And he said, Woe is me! Woe is them? No. Woe is me, I, mine. I am a man of unclean lips. It's my sin. Revival always starts with the individual that has a view of God that is big enough and also has a view of his own sin that is weighty, heavy, crushing. Crushing. You see, salvation is when God comes and removes the stain, removes the guilt, takes away that weight of sin. But we still have it, don't we? I've been a Christian for many years, and I'm telling you right now, I still sin. And if you don't, you figured out the formula, share it with me. You should be preaching today. Going deeper requires me to progress in my faith, to have a weightier view of sin. King David, more sins recorded about King David than any other person in the Bible. Like, think about that. Jezebel, oh, she was kind of bad, right? Think about it for a second. Judas betrayed Christ, not really spoken highly of. David, the liar, the thief, the murderer, The adulterer the blasphemer the bible calls him a man after god's own heart man i don't think he'd be teaching a life group at this church (laughs) do you but for real a man after god's own heart why psalm 51 you see a picture of someone that has a big view of god and an understanding of the crushing weight of the sin that's in his life you want to see revival take hold in your own life look to the new testament the apostle paul romans chapter 7 this is a man that's a missionary a church planter a bible study leader a missionary this is everything on a resume that you would want for a pastor to call in also a murderer by the way but when you have paul romans chapter 7 He, who is seasoned, already planted churches, already pastoring, calls himself a wretched man? Romans chapter 7, 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The sin weight was so heavy on him he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He had a big view of God and a weighty view of his sinner. You're detecting a pattern. You see, in dry seasons of our life, when we want to go deeper, when we say, God, where are you? We have the opportunity. Maybe it is not God that is distant, but maybe it is us. Maybe we're spending too much time praying to the wrong God. Revival takes root. Big view of God. Weightier view of sin. Isaiah 6, 8, he continues. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I responded... Here I am. Send me. The third part of revival, if you want a faith that digs deeper, is a willingness to leave your comfort zone, my friends. It's a willingness to step out when it's uncomfortable. It's a willingness to share, to serve, to love, and to lead. Notice. Yahweh did not tell Isaiah that he would have any fruit from this. Notice that he didn't promise him a revival would break out. Guess what? It didn't. Notice that he didn't promise fame, a following. He didn't say you were going to be retweeted so many times. Your followers none of that. You see, Isaiah had a view of God that was big enough, a view of his sin that was heavy enough that when the God said, hey, your sins are atoned for, they're clean, the only response that Isaiah could have for revival to flourish in his own heart was to say, hey, here here I am, Send me. I think of this picture of an orphan who was abandoned. Her mom and dad didn't want her. She was making it through life, going to soup kitchens and bouncing around the system. But one day there was. A good billionaire, if you can believe such a thing. That said, you know what? I'll adopt this orphan. I will give her a new name. I will give her gifts. I will give her a place at the table. I will revive her. So she comes in, new bed, new clothes, new giftings, but ends up back in the soup kitchen line. Story kind of took a turn, didn't it? Does that not perfectly tell our story? I was an orphan lost at the fall does that not perfectly tell the story of a God that came in and said hey Jonathan the orphan I'm going to give you a new name a new identity I'm going to give you giftings I'm going to change your trajectory how heavy is sin That even in that, we choose to go on sinning. The things that satisfied us before, we want to go back to that. Do you want revival to take root? Turn from your sin. Have a view of God that's big enough. Have a bigger view of God. And when prompted, say, here I am. You see, this is a picture of not only revival in the hearts of us that are already saved, this message is for everybody. Every single person in this room is in desperate need of revival. But it's also for somebody that does not have a relationship with Christ. You see, you are living a sinful life. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that sin which we all have, separates us from God. And that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, giving us a new name and a new identity. To those of you in this room that are believers, it's my prayer that revival would not start in this church. It's my prayer that revival would start in you, and in me pray that revival would take root in your life and to those of you that maybe you're not in the family at this point maybe you have not been saved maybe you don't have a relationship with christ he wants that he's calling you to that and it's my prayer today that everybody would have business with god some for revival And some for salvation if you would pray with me God we thank you for the grace that you give us your word teaches that you give grace upon grace God for those in this room that are believers I pray the words of Pastor Leonard Ravenhill, don't let anything die in me that should live and don't let anything live in me that needs to die. And for those of us in this room that don't have a relationship, God, I pray that you would burden them, that you would call them. And God, to both of those groups in this room, I pray that their response would be the same as Isaiah's. Here I am. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.